Thank you for joining me on episode 19 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, we go to Gaylord, Michigan with Pastor Scott Disler as he shares about betrayal from the people you love and how it metaphorically puts you in a cave and how you can overcome. Welcome back to the Unique on a Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I'm Rachel Jenneman, and I have with me today Scott Disler from Gaylord, Michigan. And Scott, it was so funny because we connected on Facebook, and then I find out you just live an hour away from me. So yeah, how about that? Yeah, so you know, I guess it, it is a small world in Northern Michigan, right? It is a small world in Northern <laughs> Michigan, and it's a very cold one. But we won't go into that. But you wrote a book, and and I want to get into this book here in just a moment. It, it is called uh, "The Cave." And when ministry becomes misery, and, and I don't want to exclude anyone out that's listening right now. Well, I'm not in ministry, so this is not going to pertain to right. me because I've seen people in the cave who are teachers or politicians or work in hospitals or whatever. So as we talk, we're going to really dive into ministry. And this is something close to my heart, too, because I worked in uh, pastoral ministry for a long time. But I want people to know that this is not excluding people in ministry. But with those in ministry, it's pretty much a matter of when, not a, not a matter of if, right? That yeah, they will have this exactly experience. Right. Yeah. So, Scott, you are a husband, you are a father, you're an empty nester, correct? That's right. Yeah. Both my kids are grown. I've got three grandchildren. Oh. It's just my wife and I at home. Nice. And you've been a pastor for how long? 35 years. 35 years. And you have just added author onto your list of credentials. So um, first of all, when we talk about your book, you you call it the cave. So tell me first, what is the cave? What do you mean by that? You know, the cave is that that place that you retreat into really subconsciously and in your mind and your heart when you experience hurt from the hands of another or you feel the sting of betrayal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I'm not the first one to talk about the cave. You really find it first and foremost in the story of Elijah in the Bible, who ends up in a cave saying, God, just kill me. Yeah. And so it's that place that you retreat into, and ministry becomes misery. Actually, life becomes misery. Yeah. What led up to you writing this book? Because you had a cave experience yourself. So tell yeah. me about that. Yeah, and then really it happened about 12 years ago. I was pastoring a church in Pennsylvania, and the first five years of the church was just amazing. We saw God work in extraordinary ways. The church grew, literally tripled in size from 500 to 1,500. We had all kinds of plans. And then suddenly, and when I say suddenly, I mean it took me by complete surprise, blindsided me. One individual in the church who kind of happened to be that power broker, the one that had all the influence, a layperson, mm-hmm. totally turned against me. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, to this day, I can't yet pinpoint exactly what caused it. Because okay. up until that time, he'd been my greatest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like overnight, it all changed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that started a series of secret meetings. Mm. Um, 
sharing things that I would say would be inaccurate and trying to pick off other board members and other staff members and other key people in the church against me. And it was during that time frame that I found myself going into the cave, a place I had never experienced before. I'd heard of other pastors who experienced it, and I really didn't think I ever would experience it. But mm-hmm. suddenly, I was there. And then, so what What exactly led you to write the book then? I mean, obviously, you were out yeah. of the cave at that point when you wrote it? Right. Yeah, it was many years after that I wrote the book. And really, the main reason I wrote the book, Rachel, was because when I went through that cave experience, um, I could not find anything out there that really gave me not just spiritual hope, but practical help. Mm-hmm. Here's some steps you can take in the cave that can help you. And so years removed from my cave experience, um, the Lord led me to write a book. And, and the book really is, it doesn't tell, here's how I was hurt, because that was really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, here are the lessons I learned in the hurt. Yeah, And the idea would be that it would help other pastors, people in ministry, and really people in general who go through hurt and find themselves in the cave. Because, Rachel, what I discovered was majority of the people in ministry who go through the cave, a high percentage of them end up leaving ministry. Hmm. And, uh, and that broke my heart. And I know how close I came to leaving ministry mm-hmm. in my cave experience. So this book was designed to help pastors, people in ministry, and really people in general who find themselves in the cave to be able to take practical steps out of the cave and still fulfill their calling with joy. Do you think that not just ministry, but people that are outside of ministry that find themselves in the cave end up leaving their jobs as well? Like example for a teacher, when the teacher finds themselves betrayed in the cave, do you see them kind of exiting too, or is that more of a ministry thing? No, I, I think it happens all over the place, and, and not just in occupational things. We leave relationships because mm. of the cave. We leave yeah. marriages because of the cave. Mm-hmm. We even, as lay people in our churches, when we experience hurt, leave our churches because of the cave. So I think a natural response to being in the cave is we want to leave the very thing that hurt us. Okay. That's really good. Now, in the introduction of the book, you mentioned that uh, this kind of stung a little bit when (laughs) I read this because it's true. And you said that God does not call us to be comfortable, but he Mm -hmm. calls us to make us comfort those who need comforting. Again, that, that stung a little bit, but explain that for me. Yeah, that was really the verse in the Bible, the passage in the Bible that drove me to write the book was 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that tells us that God is the God of all comfort. And, And by the way, Rachel, that word comfort doesn't mean he takes the problems away. It means he comes alongside of us during our problems. God is the God of all comfort, Mm -hmm. who comforts us in our trial. He comes alongside of us in our trial so that we can comfort those who go through the same type of trial. Mm -hmm. And what I found happening is that God was bringing into my life 
pastors, other ministry individuals, and just people in general who were going through her found themselves in the cave and they were coming to me for help. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what caused me to write the book. You see, my cave experience really opened up a whole new realm of ministry for me Mm. in reaching out and ministering and encouraging to people who are hurt. And that's the one thing about hurt in our life. Rachel, God doesn't waste anything. Even hurt in our life, Mm -hmm. he can use to open up a whole new realm of ministry. Mm -hmm. Now, the cave, as you call it, it, it says it, in the book, You, I think it's on page 16, you say that success in ministry is not a force field that protects ministry leaders from the cave, but many times it can actually be what propels a person in that direction. Yeah. So are you finding that, especially those in ministry, when they've hit that top, that mountain, they are successful, their churches are growing, you know, people mm-hmm. are coming to Christ and people yeah. are getting baptized, then that's kind of when that cave experience comes in? I think that's when we're more susceptible to it. I mean, look at Elijah. Mm -hmm. The chapter before he's in the cave, he's on top of Mount Carmel calling fire down from heaven and winning the great battle against the prophets of Baal. Mm -hmm. The very next chapter, he's in the cave. And that's what I found in my life. I've gone through a lot of ministry success, and those first five years in Pennsylvania were the greatest success I had seen spiritually in ministry. Mm -hmm. Then the cave came. And I think the reason we become more susceptible to it at that point There's probably several factors to it. One is we can become prideful when we have successes. Yeah. And when we become prideful and kind of think, wow, look what I'm doing, we become less dependent on God. Mm -hmm. And when we quit depending on God, we become susceptible to the cave. I also think with success, we often lower our guard. Things are going so well. We just kind of lower our guard a little bit. And that makes us susceptible. And I think there's a third element. And of course, let's not forget satanic warfare. We have an enemy. Mm-hmm. And when things are happening spiritually, he wants to intervene and cause it to stop. Right. Yeah, he's not necessarily going to kick us while we're down. It's, oh, things are going well. That's This is when I need to bring my attack. Exactly. Now, last year, 2020, man, we heard a lot of pastors or ministry leaders in moral failing or they're yeah. kind of, quote, quote unquote, de- I'm deconstructing my faith. We were hearing a lot of that. Do you think that being in the cave kind of um, makes you more I can't even say the word correctly, susceptible to a moral failing? I, I think it makes us more susceptible to a lot of failures, Rachel, because when we're in the cave, one of the things we really experience is self-pity. Mm. And, uh, and it's kind of like the woe is me, no one likes me, everyone hates me, I think I'll go eat worms. Yeah. And when we get into that mindset, then suddenly um, there are temptations that come up in our, in our life that we can easily fall into because we're looking for significance. Mm-hmm. We're looking for something positive. We're looking for somebody who will show us good attention because we're getting a lot of bad attention. Mm. Are there people, do you think, that are in the cave that don't even realize that they're there? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, I think that. I, 
I think there is. I think, you know, sometimes, I think what happens is, Rachel, you move into the cave without even realizing you've moved into the cave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's typically what happens because here's kind of the, the path I found it took, and I can see this, and I write about it in my book, In the Life of Elijah. It starts with fear. Well, you know, we have this opposition, and usually, by the way, that opposition is in the form of a person, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But when that opposition comes, we have fear in our life, fear of, okay, what's going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to lose my ministry? Uh, How am I going to keep my kids in college? Because both were in college at the time. If I lose my ministry and I lose my paycheck, how do I find a new ministry with this hanging over my head? And all this fear kind of begins to take place. And over time, that fear leads to isolation. And I begin to draw away from everyone. I begin to kind of just become a hermit in my office as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And when I'm done preaching on Sunday morning, I don't stand in the foyer anymore and greet people. I find a reason to have to leave. I even found myself pulling away from my own family. That's when I realized I was in the cave. I had pulled away from all of my friends, even my family, my church, and I was sitting all alone in that cave. And that led to self-pity. The self-pity also had with it a sense of paranoia because what happened is any time I saw two people talking in the church foyer, I just assumed they were talking about me and it wasn't positive and suddenly everyone's against me in my mind mm-hmm. and that led to hopelessness. And, and, and at that point, you are in a state of misery in the cave. Is that more of depression, do you think, when you're going through all of those? Because isn't that what you do when you're depressed? You isolate yourself? Yeah. You have, okay. Exactly. It, it is depression. And, uh, and that was one of the things that I finally got to the point where I realized I needed to get help. And that help was with my thinking. Because it's your thinking that affects your behavior. Mm -hmm. And when you get that thinking, especially when you have all those thoughts of fear and self-pity and paranoia and hopelessness, yes, it brings about depression. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from in ministry. Who who pointed that out to you? I mean, did you just come upon that yourself or did you did someone like your wife or a trusted friend say, hey, you need to get some help because this is what's happening? Yeah, it actually came upon myself in a graphic way. And and in the end, it ended up being a positive thing because it was my first step out of the cave. And here's what happened. It was about the time that the whole cave experience happened as my son was graduating and getting ready to go to college. My daughter was already in college. And it was high school graduation for my son. The whole family is gathered around the table in the living room uh, having lunch. And I experienced my very first panic attack. Hmm. I had never had that before. I talked to people who had it. I never had it. It felt like the walls were closing in on me. I, I was having trouble breathing. And all I could do, literally, physically, was run. I got up from the table without making any announcement. I left the room, left the house, got in my car and took off. And it scared me Mm -hmm. to have that panic attack. And that's when I realized I'm in trouble. This is serious. Mm -hmm. And no matter what happens to my ministry, I got to get my own mind and heart right. And so that's when I made the decision 
that I needed to get a good Christian professional counselor. And God led me to a wonderful man. There was a professional counselor who had been a pastor. He specialized in helping pastors. And that really, as scary as it was, it really was a turning point because that caused me to take my first step that would eventually lead me out of the cave. Now, give us some advice on how we find that Christian counselor. I think all of us, whether we're pastors or lay people or whoever, I, well, I think it should be mandatory for pastors to have a therapist. But I, I think that's good. I think that's good. But how do you, because here was always my fear of going to a therapist, was I was yeah. always afraid to talk about what was going on at work because I was afraid <laughs> of making those in ministry or whoever look bad yeah. or the church look bad to my therapist that was always in the back of my mind well I'm still because I couldn't I when I went through therapy personally I couldn't find a Christian counselor so I ended up having to go to a secular one but in the back of my mind I was always thinking I'm being a terrible witness because I am sharing all of this not so okay stuff exactly and for me I had the added um, burden of we have the largest church in our area mm-hmm. and so I couldn't just go to any Christian counselor in our area yeah. they knew me they mm-hmm. knew our church mm-hmm. they knew people I wasn't comfortable with that mm-hmm. so I just began to pray saying God you, you need to lead me to the right person and I began to just do a lot of internet searching for the area a little bit outside of where we lived mm-hmm. and that's when I found um, Dr. Paul, and when I found Dr. Paul and I read all of his stuff, I read his his beliefs, his philosophy, I saw that he specialized in, 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 in caring for and working with pastors. So I, that's when I had to take the risk. I had to contact him. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him an email. Gave him a little bit, just a little bit of my story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I just waited for the email to come back. Mm-hmm. And when it came back, it was like God had just opened an amazing door because he, his response back to me gave me a lot of hope that he understood my situation. Now, of course, we're in a problem, though. The problem is he was two hours away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I said to him, let me pray about this because, I, I, you know, you're two hours away. He said, Scott, one day a week, I come to the town next to yours mm-hmm. and work out of a church there. Nice. And that's when I knew God had opened the door. Mm-hmm. And I began to meet with Dr. Paul, and it really was the first step for me getting my thinking right so I could take the other steps needed to get out of the cave. Yeah. And and anybody that's listening, I, I want to make sure that you understand that this advice goes for you, too, whether you're in ministry or not. Because if, if I'm working for a school and I need help, obviously I don't want to go to anybody that's going to know people from from my large school or from my hospital right. or wherever I'm working. So this this advice goes for for everybody. Now, tell me about you talk a lot about jealousy. You point to Joseph yeah. and his brothers and in the right. coat of many colors. Talk about how jealousy can lead to the cave. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened in the life of Joseph. Uh, it was jealousy in his brother's lives that caused them to hate Joseph and ultimately betray him. He ends up in the pit of betrayal, mm-hmm. ultimately a prison as a result. And, and I think we underestimate how dangerous jealousy is. When we become jealous, and that's why First Corinthians 13 says love is not jealous. Yeah. When we become jealous, 
of others, here's what it leads to. It's an interesting thing, because in our English language, we have two different words, jealousy and envy. So jealousy is when I wish I had what you had. Mm -hmm. Envy is when I'm going to try to deprive you of it since I can't have it. Mm. In the Greek language that the New Testament's written in, there's only one word for both. And the reason is, is because jealousy, if left unchecked, always leads to envy. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's even what happened in my case. I think with this one individual, um, you know, when I first came to the church, he was the most well-known individual in the church, had all the influence. But over five years, the church triples in size. And he even said in one meeting, I remember, most of the people in this church don't even know who I am anymore. And uh, and I think that was a jealousy that kind of then led to envy and wanting to try to deprive me of the relationship I had with them because he couldn't have it. How do you um, how do you help yourself say you are that person in ministry and you find yourself in a jealous spot? So I understand how somebody else being jealous of you can lead to you isolating and Mm -hmm. getting into the cave. But what if you yourself are that jealous person? Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing is you've got to recognize it first. You've got to recognize that you're jealous. Be willing to admit it to yourself. That yeah, and to admit it's sin. Mm. It's not just an emotion. It's sin that can be damaging because it's kind of like a seed that grows. Mm -hmm. And if I don't root it out when I first see that jealousy, it's going to grow into envy. And Ephesians says it'll even grow into wrath, clamor, and anger. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. So I have to be able to notice it. How do I notice it? Well, obviously, the way you notice any sin, Mm -hmm. the more sensitive you are in your relationship to God, the more the Holy Spirit points out sin in your life, the the moment it creeps in, mm-hmm. the more time I spend with God, the more the Holy Spirit can point out those sins in my life. And I just have to be willing to notice it, accept it as sin, and then I have to deal with it like any other temptation. Mm-hmm. Every time it comes up, I have to make the decision not to act on it. Mm-hmm. That might mean that I'm going to memorize a verse of the Bible, and every time I'm tempted to be jealous, I'm going to stop and quote that verse. But I'm going to take action to try to prevent it from coming to envy. Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, you give a formula for those who seem to be put put themselves in the cave that that become in the cave. But what if I'm a lay person? How do I check myself as if not to put another person or not to put a pastor or anyone else for that matter in the cave themselves? So what if I'm because in the book you mentioned Unintentioned Dragons, which is a book that I read before I went into ministry as well. And it's just all those people that, yep, they're believers, but they get caught up in certain things and they can stick you into that cave. Well, how do I recognize that I I am that unintentioned dragon. I am that person that's about ready to put somebody in the cave. I think there's a couple things that will kind of show you that's happening. And the first one is this. You will be involved in gossip about that person, about that pastor, about that leader. And by that, I mean this. You're going to begin to talk with people negatively about that individual. Now, let me define gossip. I define gossip this way. It's sharing something negative about someone else 
to a person who doesn't need to know. Mm-hmm. That's gossip. Mm-hmm. And that's what we begin to do. We begin to say, yeah, yeah, but you know, and then along with gossip, what we do is we judge motives. Well, here's why I think he did that. Well, here's why she said that. So we begin to gossip. We begin to judge motives. And then after that, we begin then to just lob the negative comments. And they usually come through written correspondence to that pastor, to that ministry leader. And one of the things I will always say to people is this. If you need to communicate something negative, if you need to commu- if you need to confront somebody, never do it via email. Mm-hmm. Never do it via email. And, and I always say the worst part about being a pastor is reading your email on Monday morning. That's mm-hmm. the worst part of being a pastor. Because we tend in our culture today to only contact the person if there's something we don't like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so you put a comment box at a store or a restaurant, and what will you discover? That 90% of the comments are things I didn't like. Yeah. Not, here's where you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And so I would say when I begin to gossip, I begin to judge motives, and when I begin to communicate negatively to that person, you would be amazed at how those three things can lead a pastor into the cave. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you defined gossip because even myself, I'm really confused on, well, is this gossip or is not? And I've always tried to take the philosophy, when in doubt, don't. So if if you if you think it might be, then just don't do it. Just just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And and Rachel, I would also say on the flip side, there's only one way to stop a gossip. Mm -hmm. And that's to quit listening to them. Mm -hmm. You see, it's just as wrong to listen to gossip as it is to share gossip. Right. So when someone in the church comes to you and begins to talk negatively about the pastor, that's the time that you need to cut that off. Mm-hmm. Don't let it keep going mm-hmm. uh, because it's just as much of a problem to listen to gossip as it is to share gossip. And I think that's one of the great reasons why we all need therapists in our lives when we really need, because I know for me, I'm an external processor. I need to right. talk about things to really understand what is going on. So if you have that therapist in your life to be able to share those negative things, it's only right. you're, you're getting it off your chest, but it's right. not going further and it's not affecting the person that you're talking about. Right. You're sharing it now to somebody who needs to know. Mm-hmm. And it's when you share it with people who don't need to know that. By the way, can I just say this? Just because they're a family member doesn't mean they always need to know. Mm-hmm. So you got to keep that in mind, too, because sometimes we think well, it's, it's not gossip if I'm talking to my aunt. Or if I'm talking to whoever. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it can still be gossip. Be careful. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, what I don't like is that God allows us to go through these really painful cave experiences. Why do you think God allows that? I mean, you see that with Paul. Paul in the New Testament says, I have this thorn in my side. He never explains what the thorn is, but it's like he's praying for God to take the thorn away and it's not happening. And it happens in all of our lives. Why does God allow us to go through these painful seasons? Yeah, and in that same passage, God says, I'm the one to put the thorn there, Mm. and I have a purpose for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really interesting, because I I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned through my cave experience, and I talk about the book, is what I might call the value of brokenness. And uh, because we like to avoid brokenness because it hurts. Yes. (laughs) But there's value in brokenness. Yeah. And, and, And so I think about this. 
in the Bible, every time Jesus distributes bread, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the Last Supper, he always uses the same exact formula. The Bible says he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, then he gave the bread. He took it, blessed it, broke it, gave it. And I think that's how God deals with people. Look at the Bible. That's how God dealt with people. Moses, he took him out of the Nile River, blessed him as a prince of Egypt, broke him on the backside of the desert, then gave him to deliver Israel. Mm -hmm. Think about Jesus. Took him out of a manger in Bethlehem, blessed him with miracle-working powers, broke him in the Garden of Gethsemane, gave him to be the Savior of the world. And I think that's how God works in our lives, too. He takes us, he blesses us with gifts and abilities, but then there comes a time that God will allow brokenness to come into our life. Why? Well, remember, he doesn't waste anything. Mm -hmm. It's so he can give us to something new and fresh. I think it was A.W. Tozer who once said, I doubt that God can really use a man until he first breaks that man. Mm. Brokenness has value. That's mm -hmm. why the Bible says a broken and contrite heart God will not cast out. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at my cave experience, Rachel, it was the worst time of my life. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you this. I'm a better pastor today mm. because I went through it. Mm -hmm. And God opened up a whole new realm of ministry for me in a place I never thought I would land, northern Michigan, that absolutely blows my mind. And I never would have came here had God not caused that cave experience and allowed it to happen, used it to break me. Now, one of the things that happens with brokenness is this. When God allows brokenness to come into your life, one of the things he wants to do is to reveal to you some things you need to change. Mm -hmm. And once I was well out of the cave and could really look back and process honestly beyond just my hurt, I realized two areas of my life I needed to repent from. Mm -hmm. And one area was I didn't realize how arrogant I had become. Mm -hmm. and, and how I looked down at pastors of smaller churches. I didn't realize that until I went through the cave experience. Mm -hmm. And God broke, broke me on that, and I had to repent. But here was the biggest one. I didn't realize that I had allowed successful ministry to become my source of significance. Okay. I felt significant because I had a successful ministry. And when that ministry was taken away and I lost it, I hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized my sense of significance and self-worth cannot be in how successful my ministry is. It must be in who I am in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I had to repent of that and realize it's not successful ministry that makes me who I am. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus Christ that makes me who I am. I don't think I ever would have learned that had I not gone through that brokenness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a humility that comes with the brokenness. Like you, you look at Joseph and Joseph, he has this dream about his brothers bowing down to him. And then tw it took 22 years, 22 years right. later, here are his brothers bowing down to him. And, and it says Joseph remembered his dream. And and right. you have to wonder 
would Joseph at that point had would have would he have had the humility to say yes I will feed you I will serve you if he right. had not gone through that broke that 22 years that broken experience of his yeah God doesn't waste anything and there is value in brokenness it's not fun and it often hurts mm-hmm. but there's value in brokenness yeah. I have one last question for you. Uh, the year 2021, they have called this the year of great resignation. And there have been a lot of of church leaders resigning uh, their pastorship or directorship. Yeah. Do you think that it is because of being in this cave or do you think maybe COVID was either the final draw for it or maybe they were mm-hmm. in the cave during during quarantine and they just said, you know, what uh, this yeah. is my excuse to get out what do you what do you think yeah, yeah I, I think there, there might be a little bit of all of that Rachel I think there were some people that were already in the cave and when COVID hit I'm not even going to try anymore and they're done mm-hmm. but I think the whole COVID and the shutdown thing drove a lot of pastors into the cave mm-hmm. and here's why I say that remember mm-hmm. you typically get driven into the cave because somebody opposes you mm-hmm. for Elijah it was Jezebel for me it was this man in my church Well, I can tell you this from experience. I've been a pastor for 35 years. In the last year and a half, I probably received more hateful emails from church people Mm -hmm. than I've ever received in all of my ministry. Mm -hmm. Because people took such sides on the whole issue of COVID and masks and vaccines. And so it didn't matter what decision the pastor made about how the church was going to respond to it. There were people who were very angry. Mm -hmm. And when you get those type of responses and those type of emails and those type of judging your motives, it drives you into the cave. So Mm -hmm. I think that happened to a lot of pastors. I think all of the negative they received for every decision they made during that time, Mm -hmm. it forced them into the cave. Right. Yeah, I can see that because I was I was on staff at a church at that time, and, and it just seemed as if no matter what you did, there was always people on either side that said, no, that's not okay. Even though you were trying to create that happy medium, right. somebody exactly. was upset. And, and, they, and they were aggressively upset. <laughs> yes, aggressively upset. I, I think in, in our culture, we have a lot of prideful people and people that have uh, uh, strong opinions, but then COVID just kind kind of amplified that right. <laughs> especially I, I agree church. I agree with that yeah I agree with that wholeheartedly and then so you put to that then all of the pressure about people coming back to the church and most churches to this day uh, are still are lacking a good percentage of people who haven't come back and that affects finances that affects ministry I think all of that became a perfect storm to drive a lot of pastors into the cave and for many out of ministry out of ministry well if you um as we wrap up if there's uh, one last piece of advice that you could give us not just those in ministry but anybody that right. finds themselves in this place of yeah. depression isolation self-pity and just really that that place of hopelessness because i like how you put in the book you said you you weren't going to hurt yourself you weren't going to commit suicide but i think you were right. kind of at that place of yeah but if i died it would be fine <laughs> Exactly. So if, yeah. what, what advice would you give us um, for those of us that are there? Here's the biggest thing I would say. 
if you're in the cave, if you've been hurt, if you've been betrayed, and you're hurting, and you're in the cave, what I need you to know is this. The cave may be part of your story, but it does not have to be the end of your story. Mm. And that's the thing you need to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. You can look in the Bible at people like Elijah, people like Joseph that were in the cave or the pit. It wasn't the end of their story. By the grace of God, my time in the cave was not the end of my story. And I don't think your cave experience takes away your God-given calling. Mm -hmm. And so you may be in the cave, but whatever you do, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. And uh, take steps to get out of the cave. And uh, hopefully the book can help some people to know, here's some steps you can take. It does not have to be the end of your story. Rachel, I like to tell people this. Everything that happens to you will have one of two effects. Mm-hmm. It'll make you bitter or it will make you better. Mm-hmm. And in a large part, that choice is yours. Right, right. Where can I get your book? The book's available online, Amazon, online through Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million. I'm sure if you have a local uh, bookstore, I'm sure they don't carry it, but you could go there. They could order it for you. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, I would also say this. The main reason I wrote the book was to help hurting pastors. And so if there's a hurting pastor out there in the cave, man, if they contact me, I will send them a copy of the book as a gift because that's the whole purpose of the book. Well, Scott, I thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to make sure that I put the links to your book and uh, your information in the show notes. So that way, if a pastor does want to contact you and just, I don't know, ask a question, <laughs> you yeah. know, they, they, they are able to get a hold of you in that way. So, Scott, thank you again. I appreciate your time. I know that you're a busy man. And um, I'm just so grateful to be able to have this conversation because it's something that we don't talk about often enough. So thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you again for joining Pastor Scott and I on how you can overcome the darkness of what he calls the cave. This metaphorical cave can come to anyone out of anywhere. So make sure if that is you, you check out his book in the show notes. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next week.